Let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you're new with us today, you're visiting, um, we're glad you're here, especially those from Anderson University. We have been going through uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, and today we will begin chapter 2 and look at the first eight verses. Uh, just to give us some context, uh, the last uh, few verses right before chapter 2, look at verse 27 with me. This is in uh, chapter 1. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Uh, we will uh, just have this as a point of reference and a message. Just want to give us a reminder of the context. We'll read the rest of our verses as we go along. But I do want to pray before we begin with that. Uh, but let's, let's uh, go to the Lord again in prayer and ask for his blessing. Lord, we come today. We're grateful for the cross of Jesus. Lord, uh, we're reminded today of, of things that we can understand. Lord, we know that we're unworthy. We, we grasp that. We are sinners, but we don't understand the wonders of your redeeming love for us. We don't understand that fully, but Lord, help us today to better understand by your Spirit um, how wide the love of Christ is for sinners such as us. Lord, your Son um, prayed for us that your people will be sanctified by your truth, and we ask that now. We come today, Lord, uh, joyful for many reasons. At the same time, we've just sung about being weary. We have uh, many things in our hearts and minds that, Lord, only you know the full depth of those concerns. So we commit those to you and ask you, Lord, to sanctify us. We thank you for your Spirit's work and for his word. And we pray he would work now to help us to understand your word, to believe it, to live it out. That he would help me and my weakness to be able to explain it. Father, we also pray that others would come to see that they're unworthy if they don't know you. At the same time, in that unworthiness, Lord, recognize that you have provided abundantly in Christ for them to find rest. And so, Lord, we come today in need of rest in Christ. We thank you for this word before us. Help us to see Christ and him only, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, the, um, the message is titled Humility in Christ, and that certainly will be our focus. But the, the, really, the, the title should be, um, let's think through this together. Paul's calling us here to think through together, what does it mean to be humble? What does that look like? Uh, perhaps you're like me in high school and you struggle with math. I was always terrible in math, I still am. But thankfully, my dad was always uh, very sharp and mad. And so he would come into my room with a big jar of sharpened pencils, big stack of notebook paper. He put that down on my desk and said, let's think through this together. And I wanted to use all the shortcuts that our teacher had been teaching us. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to, to get all these pages out and write it out in detail. And I, I still struggled to grasp those concepts but he was committed to me to think through this together with me. 
He wanted me to reflect on this. And it wasn't just this complex mystery to me that he wanted me to grasp. He wanted me to grasp that there were implications. He was communicating to me complexities. But the implication of that going forward was that I was to do my best. That I was to study. That I would respect my mom when she reminded me I needed to study. Things like that. There were implications for that. Now maybe that's not your situation. But I think we all, as we come to this passage today, we realize that we need to think through together what's before us. There, there's a complex mystery here about Jesus. We'll never fully understand it. Like me with algebra, you'll, you'll always walk away with questions, thinking through all the details and what's the implications of this? Why do I need to know this? This isn't like algebra, this is ultimately life. And so Paul wants us to do two things today. He wants us to first to think through together what is humility. What's the mindset of humility? He wants us to think what is the mindset of humility. And then secondly, he calls us to think through together what is the model of humility. So we're going to look at the mindset of humility that we're all called to have. And then we're going to look at the model that Jesus gives to us. Uh, for humility. Now, I read those verses before we pray just to give us some context. We saw that the believers there in Philippi, they're suffering. We know all the details. We know that Paul is imprisoned for the gospel. He's suffering. We know that they're facing opposition because of Christ. They're suffering as well outside of prison. We're not dealing with that today here in our context. But as we'll, we'll see, there are implications here that in, in Philippians, in the midst of that suffering, there's a real strong temptation to look out for me only, to not think about others, to not think about Christ, but self-preservation. That's the temptation. Is, that's the mindset. How can I survive? Paul recognizes that. And so today in our context, we're dealing with different issues that we're struggling with, we're suffering from, whether that's health relational struggles, whatever those issues are in our life, there's a real temptation when we deal with that to think about self and not think about the body of Christ and not to think about Christ. So regardless of our circumstances, today we're called to the same thing they were, and that's first to think through together what does humility look like. Uh, let's, let's look beginning in verse 1. Um, this is God's word. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So some of your translations in verse 1 will say, therefore. ESV says, so if there. What that's reminding us is that when Paul tells us to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, what we saw in verse 27 in chapter 1, this is part of what that's going to look like. To live a life that reflects the gospel is to think through together as people, the people of God, to think through together each other. If, if the gospel is true and we are experiencing the blessings of that, he's saying, in the first couple of verses, if all that's true, it's not just about you and Jesus, it's about 
you and Jesus' bride. He's commended them, we saw in verse 27 of chapter 1, that they're standing firm for the gospel. They believe it. And they're defending it. Those are great things to be encouraged about. We should do the same. We should believe the gospel. We should defend it where it's attacked or questioned. But it doesn't stop there. Now he's calling us to live it out. And that living out the gospel is going to involve a mindset, a mindset of humility. And it has to be thought through together. Now, as he reminds us of the encouragement and the comfort that we have in Christ, that's important to think about their situation and ours, all the blessings we have in Christ. We just saw in those last few verses in chapter 1 that we've been spared. We don't have to worry about being destroyed by the wrath of God and facing judgment. We've been rescued. That should be great encouragement to us. He says if we participate in the Spirit, that should change the way we think. He, he uh, in chapter 1, talked about how the Spirit helps him. In prison, the Spirit is helping Paul to deal with and cope with the situation. We have that same Spirit. Think about all these other blessings that we have, affection and sympathy. If those things are true, he said in verse 2, then complete my joy by living this out, by thinking through this together. We saw a few weeks ago in chapter 1 that every time Paul prayed for this particular church, he always did so with great joy. He already has joy about this particular congregation. They are partnering with him financially. They're deeply concerned about his ministry. He knows they love him. So he's always, already experiencing joy. But he wants them to be part of the process. A few weeks ago, Dr. Koistra reminded us that God has begun a good work in us. And he's going to continue that work until Christ comes back. And we see in these verses here that we're reminded we're part of the process that God uses to help complete that process. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And Paul calls God's people to live out the gospel. And that will grant him joy. Because you'll see the reality of their faith. He's already talked about in chapter 1 how their love is genuine. They have love for him and for each other. But we saw in chapter 1 that he's praying that they will love each other. God's going to finish that work. He's going to bear that fruit of the Spirit. But, but Paul's praying that God will continue that work. And then he's challenging God's people to live it out. We're part of the process. And part of that process that we go through together is thinking through together this mindset and living it out. He says, having the same mind, same love, being in full accord and of one mind. There's an emphasis there on unity. That's the emphasis in all of his letters. And as we read Philippians, we're reminded this is a, a unique congregation, the way they have ministered to Paul and the great joy he has because of them. This is different than reading 1 Corinthians, where it seems like every turn Paul's having to address some area of conflict. But as we'll see later, while it's not on the same level as Corinth, there is some strife. 
There is some division. There's grumbling and complaining. There's two people in particular he'll point out later. Immensely valuable to his ministry, these two particular sisters in Christ, but they're not getting along. We don't know all the details, but it seems it's beyond just those two ladies. So Paul is urging them to pursue what they have. Or they have unity in Christ, and they're called to live this out. And as we'll see, this is not just the gospel of, of being nice. It's not just, hey, be nice to each other. It's not that. This is a, a treatment of each other that's grounded in gospel humility. It's a mindset we have to cultivate. It's a mindset we've got to think through together. And it's a mindset that's modeled in Christ. So let's continue to think about this. He says in chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Selfish ambition, that phrase we saw a few weeks ago, it's in chapter 1 where there are people who are preaching Christ, but they're doing it for attention. They're doing it for their own reputation. They're doing it for their own glory. That, that phrase, selfish ambition, it's literally empty glory. It's the glory they're pursuing, but it's empty. It's not lasting. It's surpassed by the glory of Christ. It won't satisfy because it's not ultimately grounded in the glory of Christ. The people in chapter 1 are glorying in self, ultimately. They may be preaching about Christ, but they're ultimately about self. Paul said, that's not true of us. If you're in Christ and you have his spirit, it's a whole different mindset where we put ourselves, um, we put others above ourselves. This is about humility, he says in verse 3. It's a mindset we've got to think through together. What does this look like? He says, we have to think about others as more significant than ourselves. This, this, is, um, this is a great section, it's an important section, but it's difficult to live out. Paul knows that. Others recognize this. Like for, one, for example, uh, Cheryl Bachelder. Uh, she lives in Atlanta, long-time uh, leader in food industry, restaurant industry, and she currently is on the board of directors for Chick-fil-A. And she's kept these verses on her desk over the years to remind herself that's not her natural bent. It's not her natural bent, she says, to want to seek out others and their benefit. It's more about how could she increase her bank account versus those that work for her. So to this day, she has to come out every morning to these verses to remind herself of this is a mindset we have to cultivate. It's given to us in Christ, but we have to pursue it. And so she says in a recent interview that here's the problem. The indwelling sin nature. She says, all of us are born with an inner two-year-old. On the inside, we like to be laying on the floor, kicking and screaming because we didn't get our way. She says, now as an adult, we learn to fake it pretty well. But we're still, in many ways, like that two-year-old on the inside. And so she says, I have to constantly come back and filter my decisions through the lens of Christ and through Philippians 2. 
historian Bruce Hindermarch, he's a professor at Regent College in Vancouver, and he uh, does a lot of work on contemporary culture and its influence on Christians. And he talked about how today we are uh, posturing an image through social media. He said we perform, we perform on a stage of social media, carefully crafting our appearance before an audience, seeking to impress and rouse applause in the form of likes, shares, and retweets. Everybody's happy on Facebook. Everybody seems to have a better life than I do. Now, well, you need to qualify that. I mean, I post about Clemson football on Facebook, so you know not everybody's life is always happy. Uh, but he he's goes on to say, we have an audience-oriented sense of self. We're constantly thinking about self-promotion, and that can be very damaging to discipleship. We may not be uh, an executive like uh, Cheryl Bachelder, and, but all of us, at some level, whether it's social media or interaction with others, we're always we're fighting that tendency to promote self and not the interest of others. John Piper, in, in talking about these verses, uh, mentions his sister who, like me, was, was bad in algebra in high school. He himself was excellent, and he was convicted as he wrestled through these verses as a teenager because um, his dad was often on the road, his mom wasn't able to help his sister, and she was struggling. And he was, he was content to spend most of his afternoons outside just shooting basketball with friends. And he was convicted by this. And he said, as I thought about this, here's the question. Would you count others in the body of Christ as worthy of your help and encouragement? Not are they worthy, but will you consider them? Will you think of them as worthy? Will I serve my sister? Will I take thought not just for my interests, but for hers? Will I encourage her and take the time to help her? And build her up. Will I stop shooting baskets and show interest? Whether it's basketball, social media, uh, climbing the corporate ladder, we all struggle with this calling to think through together this mindset of humility. And we have to remind ourselves that Paul is not discounting our own interests. He's not saying neglect your life, neglect your family. He goes on to be grateful about how the Philippians are concerned for the health concerns of one of his ministry associates. He's thankful for how they've met his financial interests, even his emotional interests. During a period he was anxious, he acknowledges the reality of our needs, but he's calling us to remember that we belong to a body. What does he say back in verse 4? Let each of you, Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is what it means to be a Christian. This isn't just the leadership of the church. If we're in Christ, if we have his spirit, we must think through together this mindset of Christ that we're called to live out. As we live out the gospel, it's not just believing in Jesus and having eternal life, but it's reflecting that life to others in the body. We can't know the needs and interests of others if we're gripped by social media and our reputation, if we're gripped by just simply climbing the corporate ladder or improving our jump shot. Those things are fine in and of themselves, but 
we can elevate them to idols and neglect and overlook the interests of those in the body of Christ. So as we think about this, we all fall short. And we can leave discouraged. And Paul recognizes that it's not just about um, behavior modification. We've got to come back ultimately just from the mindset to the model. So now let's think through the model of humility. We're reminded what that mindset looks like as we think through that together. But now we come to the model. He drives us from just reflecting on our failures to the one who didn't fail. And that is the model of Jesus. And so he brings this up in verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The mindset that he's calling us to, the mindset that we must, as Christians, think through together, it's ultimately ours in Christ, and Christ himself modeled it. All around us, people recognize the need to be humble, to look out for others, even non-believers. There's a singer named Scott Weiland, who was the lead singer of a, a massively popular band called the Stone Temple Pilots. And uh, he was in prison back in the late 90s for um, issues related to his drug abuse. And while he was in prison, he began to think about his life and his wife and his children. And after he served his time, he... Uh, conducted an interview, and he kept using the word humility. And he talked about how that time in prison uh, led him to realize, I need to think of myself less. He says, being a rock star doesn't give you the license to view yourself as more important than anybody else. And he expressed his desire to become a better man who has compassion and humility. And he even mentions asking for God's help. And that's, those are all wonderful things on paper. Now later, unfortunately, he relapsed and he abandoned his wife and two children and he died of a drug overdose. And in the aftermath of his death, his wife wrote an open letter uh, to the media lamenting what had happened and she grieved over him being an absentee father. She said, I only have just a handful of pictures of our entire family together. He abandoned us. Don't, don't glorify him. Grieve with us. He recognized on one level, I need to love my wife and put my children's interest above my own. I need God's help. I need to think of myself less. We saw with John Piper, similar thing. I need to put my sister's interest above my own. And Piper even talks about children. He says, if you're watching television and you're tired and your child says, would you play with me? He says, don't just think about how tired you are. Put the child's interest before the pleasures of your relaxation. Now, both Scott Weiland and John Piper, talented men, both recognizing the need to care for children and the need to be humble, the need for God's help. Here, here's one of the, the, the differences. Scott Weiland, in his interview, mentions, says, when I was a kid, I went to church every Sunday, and I was very lucky with the church I went to. It was very progressive it wasn't all that based on theology. And as he talks about Jesus, it's ultimately a, it's a different Jesus, tragically. 
And Paul wants us to make sure as we think through together what does humility look like, we've got to come back and think through who is Jesus. Because that changes everything. We realize who he is and what he's done. That's ultimately the model, that's the motivation for living this out together. He says in verse 6, Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He's telling us something that um, we didn't previously know. We have a lot of information about Jesus' life and the Gospels, and, and certainly they do point at things like this. But he's pulling back the curtain and, and showing us who Jesus really is. Certainly we see that in the Gospel of John and other places in the New Testament. But he wants us to see who Jesus is because this is life-giving. At the end of the day, Jesus and seeing this model for us as an individual Christian by God's grace, will motivate us to live this out towards other Christians. This past uh, summer, our family went out west and hit a lot of um, areas. You know, they're famous for sightseeing. We went to the Hoover Dam. And I, I was amazed by it, heard about it, seen photographs of it, but just overwhelmed by the massiveness of it. 60 stories high. And part of the thing I enjoyed the most about that particular trip, we were able to take a tour. We were able to go actually inside the dam. There had been a tunnel that had been constructed from the very beginning, almost 100 years ago. And so we were on a, um, a, a, a tour uh, that we got to go behind and see all the details. A guide gave us all the information. And I remember going through this almost century-old tunnel and looking at how well it was designed, how it had held up so well. Now, all this thought had been given to it. And as a result, it gives energy and it gives life through water to countless people in the area. Now, you can read about things about it and its benefits, but to actually get up close to it and see the mind and the care that went behind all of this, the, the forethought for giving life and power. That's what's going on here. God wants us to see in his word who his son is. This ancient plan. We saw in our call to worship that God himself would be pierced to give his spirit. We saw in that that while that's, yes, that's for cleansing of sin, the people that are confronted with that, they grieve. They're moved to care about others. We saw that's fulfilled in Jesus in the gospel of John. But yet Jesus tells his disciples my death should show you the kind of love I want you to have for each other. So he, he tells us here that, that Jesus has always existed as God, in the form of God. He's in the form of God, and yet he mentions about being equal to God. If you look down at verse 11, he talks about God the Father. Paul doesn't tell us all the details, but these, these are passages that we use to, to recognize, yes, there's only one God, but he exists simultaneously in more than one person. And this is like algebra to, to me in the sense that we struggle to grasp this, this complex mystery. We'll never fully understand it, but yet we're given this to think through together. What does this mean that, that God would do this? 
His equality with God was not something just to be grasped and held onto for his own advantage. But he humbled himself. He emptied himself, we're told. Doesn't give away his deity. Doesn't stop being God. He empties by adding. He takes on the form of a servant. Or in some translations, a slave. And he became obedient, even to death on the cross. This is scandalous. We have a a cross behind us. We have crosses everywhere. And those are beautiful reminders, beautiful artwork and jewelry to remind us of the love of Christ. But we have to remind ourselves of just how scandalous this was. And the first century, during this time period, uh, one historian from the period, Cicero, lived before Christ and said, no Roman citizen should think about the word cross. It should be far from your lips, far from your mind, because it was reserved for the dregs of society. We learn in Scripture that to be hung on a tree in the Old Testament was to be under God's curse. And that's exactly what Christ did for us. And Paul drives that home over and over again in, in his writings. He reminds us in 1 Corinthians that what I wanted you to grasp first about the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. And certainly that's in the background of Philippians. But notice, that's not really the emphasis here. The emphasis here is that look at who Jesus is. He is God incarnate. He's fully God. He's fully man. He's equal to God. And yet, he was concerned for our interests. And there, that's implying, of course, the forgiveness, the life that we have with him forever. But it's not just that. It's life with each other. To think through this together. What does this look like? We don't die on a cross like Jesus does. But when he calls us, he calls us to take up our cross and die to self. In some cases, that means I'm not going to shoot as many baskets today. In some cases, it might mean my sibling wants to play this board game. I'm not going to worry about this uh, online game. I'm going to spend time with my sibling. In some cases, it might be a spouse that says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to purpose today. I'm not going to look at pornography any longer. I'm going to die to this because Christ died for this. How can I do this to my family? Whatever the, the issues may be in our life, they're multifaceted, whether it's dying to a sin or just dying to our own interests. But Paul calls us to think through this together. I remember about 15, 16 years ago, one of our members, uh, Christina Spivey, some of you may remember her, she, she died after a long, horrific struggle uh, with a variety of health issues and uh, got to see her several times during that, that process, her and her family, and I remember the last time I saw her, it wasn't long before she would pass. And at that point, Rebecca and I didn't have any children, but she knew uh, that we were wanting to have children. We were struggling with that. And in our conversation, uh, she mentioned how she'd not been able to sleep much at night. She was in incredible pain, just absolutely exhausted, concerned about her husband and daughter being left without her. But she told me, I've been praying for you and Rebecca. And it just still, it blows me away because that's the love, that's the mindset of Christ. If it was me, I'd simply be praying, God, either take me, help me to sleep, extend my life. And certainly those were concerns of hers. Those were her interests. 
But she was praying for other people as well. And so Rebecca and I both, we look at our three children partly as the answer to her prayers for us. So as we think about this calling, this model we have today, I mentioned that historian at Regent College, Bruce Hindermarch. He mentioned as we think about this temptation to continually build a reputation online on social media, he says, for all the friends we have on Facebook, this is a lonely world. Online friendships cannot replace embodied relationships or in person. All too easily we engage social media or online gaming at the expense of those who are physically around us. And that's the calling that Paul has for us today. To think about what does this look like? This is the calling of every Christian. And to wrestle through this again, not just as an individual. We think through this together. How do we care for this person in the body of Christ? Or this group in the body of Christ that needs our attention to their interests as well? Well, we may still wrestle what that's going to look like. We know that the Lord answers our prayers. We know that he has modeled this mindset for us. He's committed to the good work he's begun in us. And he's given us his very life to show what this looks like. So let's close down in prayer. Lord, we have only scratched the surface of this amazing event of how the eternal God has entered into history. Well, we will never fully understand how you can be both God and man. We will never fully understand how there can be only one God in three persons. And as we sang earlier, well, we can never fully understand your redeeming love for us. But Lord, we're grateful that you have revealed yourself to us. You revealed that love to us. And Lord, you call us not just to be your sons and daughters, but you've called us to be a family. Lord, we confess that we fall short of this mindset. But we're grateful, Lord, that our acceptance with you, Lord, is not based on that. You've modeled it for us. Lord, we want to live this out, but we need your spirit to continue to renew us and shape us in your image. So, Lord, we commit this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.